Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Today we're going to talk about, and, and please track with me, we're going to talk about a God-centered marriage and family. God-centered marriage and family. The God-centered life can only be found in and with Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Paul writes in verse 3 and he says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So consequently, also our God-centered marriage and families can only happen when we're in Christ, when we're with Christ. So starting at verse 18, the Apostle Paul proceeds and he begins to give the church some profound instructions regarding a God-centered marriage and family. And so if, even if you're not married, this message is applicable to you because you're in a family. And he starts at verse 18 and he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Then he says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. New Living Translation. Now the NIV says, Do not be bitter with them. Right? King James says, do not be bitter with them. Verse 20, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And then fathers, do not aggravate, do not provoke, New King James, your children, for they will become discouraged. Now, permit me to also read some parallel scripture. In Ephesians, that also deals with the family. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, Paul writes, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Not to everybody else's husbands. Not just to the pastor, but to your own husbands. As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In everything, pastor? I'm not saying it. The Bible is. In everything. So, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her uh, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies 
He who loves his wife loves himself. And verse 31 says, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united and are become one. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking really about Christ and about the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Let me jump over to chapter 6. Let's just lay this foundation. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, 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 do not exacerbate your children. Don't frustrate them. But instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So what's God's design for family? What does a God-centered family, God-centered marriage really look like? For us to even get into this, we need to understand that sin affects marriage and families historically and presently. Sadly, many people think when they think about family, they don't really have great memories. In the scripture, listen to this, there are really only four passages without sin. Genesis number 1 and 2, and then Revelations 21 and 22. <laughs> Therefore, the scriptures are filled with tragic stories regarding family. And the restoration power of God that can work in them. But let me just give you a couple of examples. Adam and Eve sinned. And then a Adam responded by blaming his wife. They had two, two male children. And then one of the sons killed the other one. Abraham, the man of God, chosen by God, the man of faith, married two wives. Uh, which he was breaking God's original design. And then Abraham eventually kicked one of the wives with her son out of his house. Jacob married several wives like his grandfather. And he had 12 sons. And they eventually sold one, that, their younger brother into save, slavery. Then we see David, the man after God's own heart. He married many wives, and in David's son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Then Tamar's brother, Absalom, killed his half-brother, Amnon, for raping Tamar. Like, how are you keeping up with all that? Everybody say dysfunction. Say disorder. See, when we consider the biblical narrative, we see many, many family relationships that were broken by sin. And today, there is no difference. Sin is still destroying our families and our marriages, our relationships. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes that our relationship with Christ should affect everything about us. Having a God-centered life should affect everything. It, he begins in chapter one, and he starts talking about our position in Christ, our position with Christ. He says, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on things that are above. Set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits. 
And then in verse 2, he says, listen, listen, think on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. See, when we start thinking about things that are on the earth, when we start looking at our family members based on their um, uh, dysfunction or based on their personality flaws, we will only find ourselves in a place of discontent. When a believer is saved, they are spiritually identified now with Christ. According to Ephesians 2 verse 6, they died with Christ. They rose with Christ. They are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. This position of being with Christ should not simply be something that we talk about. You know, when we're around other church members, when we're in church, how are you doing? I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. And we have all the Christian lingo down when we're in amongst ourselves. But this identity in Christ should affect the way that we live our life on a day-to-day basis. This position of being in Christ, being with Christ, should, should not simply be what we say, but we should see the evidence of a radically changed life. Because we're now in Christ and we're now with Christ. See, if I had temper issues, anger issues, rage issues when I was outside of Christ, the only reason why I will stop having these types of issues is if I'm willing to submit myself to Christ. Because I can be saved but not sanctified. Okay. (laughs) All right. We should be conforming to Christ through our submission to his word. It should change the way that we think. Paul says to think on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. This new position in Christ should affect our daily thoughts. Here's a couple questions for you. How is your thought life? Crossword church. What consumes your thinking? What rules your mind, really? It should also change the spiritual clothing that we wear. Paul tells the church that we should put off, we should wax off the old clothing of sin. And put on, wax on the new clothing of righteousness, which is fit for our new heavenly position in Christ, with Christ. And then in verses 5 through 14, Paul tells us, that we should live a God as God-centered believers. We should put off sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires. And the list goes on. And then he says we should put on love and compassion and kindness and humility. And, and the list goes on. So, how is your spiritual life really? What consumes your emotions? What are you living, are you living in your feelings? Now, there was a little song that was going around the internet, in your feelings, and then people would make dances. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all the young people are like, yeah, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> are we living in our feelings, in our emotions? How about this question? Have you stopped resisting the devil And now you're simply doing whatever you feel. (laughs) Jesus, help us. 
So then Paul continues, and in verses 15 through 17, uh, he, he describes now the priorities that we should have in our heavenly position. Number one, we must let the peace of God rule in our lives. Living in peace and then also being thankful. You turn to your neighbor and say, what did he just say? <laughs> let, me, let me take a sidebar. <laughs> so when we come to church, and we can edit this out the message. When we come to church, it is so important that we understand we're coming to learn. Now, I don't know if anybody, everybody here have a photographic memory. But there's some things that God wants to get to you that you will hear in the moment, but you'll forget as soon as you enter the, the lobby. And if you don't write it down, can I pastor y'all really? If you don't write it down, you will inevitably continue the same behavior. Because the knowledge that you don't have will destroy you. Oh, Jesus. The Bible says we are destroyed for lack of knowledge of God. But sometimes we feel as though that if we don't know something, well, I just don't know it. But the knowledge that you don't have will destroy you. Because you will become prey to the predator of your soul. Anybody know who that is? Okay, that was just off the notes. Oh, my goodness. Let me, let me continue. Let me continue. Number two, number two. We must let the word of Christ dwell richly on the inside of us. That can't just happen on Sunday morning, saints. That can't just happen when I open up my Bible app and, you know, for three minutes I'm just going to read a quick verse and then I'm on my way. See, the word of God is not dwelling in you richly if you're not setting aside time to spend time in God's word so that our minds are being renewed. Mm. Got, like, got like about two amens. Um, it must be our desire to know God's word more and more every day and then allow it, watch this, to overflow in our lives. Number three, we also must do everything in the name of the Lord. Do everything in the name of the Lord. And then lastly, we must give God thanks in everything that we do, which means that we always say we're giving glory back to God. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm picking up the paper off the ground, if I'm cleaning the window, if I'm going, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for the glory of God. Amen? These are the priorities of a heavenly citizen. So what about our relationships, pastor? How, about my pos how does my position in Christ affect my family life? I'm glad you asked. A God-centered marriage and family follows God's design, his divine blueprint that's revealed in the scripture. He didn't allow for us to try to make it up. It's right in the scripture. I heard somebody say, if you want to, let me not go there. <laughs> you put it in a book? Okay. And for church folk, they say, just put it in the bulletin. If you don't want them to know about it, put it in the bulletin. Because they'll take the bulletin and put the bulletin down and put it in their bag. But they don't know what's in the bulletin. They could have gotten a check announcement in the bulletin and they won't know. Okay. So, so here it is. Here it is. <laughs> here it is. You know, I thank God for a godly wife because my wife has been training me. What? 
Yeah, my wife has been training me how to rest in the spirit and to slow down and to make sure what I'm communicating is clear. And so I'm slowing down. I'm not, in, I'm not impressed with all the notes I have. I just got to make sure you understand what's, what needs to be said for the now. Amen? Because everybody says Sunday is coming. So what are we, what, whatever we don't cover today, we'll cover it next week. But I'm going to make sure that you get what we have for today. God's willing. Amen. He's talking scripture. <laughs> okay. So here it is. We're talking about God's divine blueprint for families. Now, if you have some, some experiences that have not been the best, God has a good word for you. But listen to this. Let me lay this out real quick. Husbands, this is God's blueprint. Husbands must love and cover their wives. Husbands over their wives. Wives must respect and submit to their husbands. Parents must cover and train their children. But God in Christ is over all of us. Okay, so now I'm going to take a moment and try to break this out. Let's just deal with the wife first. You probably won't get to the husbands today, but make sure y'all come back now, okay? <laughs> so, 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 so here is the wife's responsibility to her husband. Her posture is one of willing, respectful submission. Let's just breathe on that for a second. Because I can already hear some of you thinking, what if he don't deserve it? We're going to get to that in a moment. Paul's admonition to the church and to the wives is this in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Verse 18. First, we see the wife's role. Paul says that the wife must submit, and this is fitting. The wife must submit to her husband because it's the appropriate disposition based on her position in Christ. We'll tease that out in a little bit. The word simply means submit here. It simply means to, uh, to arrange on the rank. It means to come under. See, in the military, a sergeant is not inferior to a captain. They may think they are, but they're not. They are equal. However, to have order in the military, authority must exist in the relationship or chaos will ensue. I know all the military vets are like, yeah. In the same way, when God made the husband and the wife relationship, he made it with order so that it would not function, so that it would function properly and purposely. One of the greatest misunderstood principles in the church and also the world, but particularly in the church, is the principle of authority and submission. See, submission does not mean inferiority. Neither does authority means superiority. But I've been around for a few years now, and I've heard preachers try to preach these scriptures and just lord and beat up women about the fact that they need to submit to their husbands. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> 
And so what we want to do is to bring some clarity. Everybody say clarity. Amen. Submission does not imply that the wife is less than the husband. For the scriptures clearly proclaims the equality of all of us in Christ. Galatians 2.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Everybody said that's Bible. Therefore, uh, there is equality in Christ. However, our equality and unity in Christ does not remove the fact that there are different roles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes and he says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Everybody say order. Okay. In this passage, we see the headship within uh, God's person. God is the head of Christ. Even though God the Father and God the Son are co-equal, the Son submits to the Father. He obeys the Father. In a similar vein, when God made male and female in his image, he put authority and submission in the relationship. Everybody say amen. So the head of the woman is the man. Now, if, you, if, if there's ladies in the house and you're getting a little cringe when you hear that, that's okay. Just, just, just bear with me. Amen? See, the truth you know will set you free. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> One of the things that we know that the Lord is calling this church into is to be able to accurately, to the best of our ability, communicate truth. That's why you don't hear me or the other ministers up here uh, communicating our, idolo- our, our ideologies or our philosophies to you. We're teaching the word of God. Amen? Amen. The marriage relationship reflects the relationship of the Godhead. This unity, authority, and submission in marriage should reflect how mankind is made in the image of God. And how they were to relate to each other back in the garden. So let me read Genesis chapter 1. You got your iPhone, your Android, whatever you have. You want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. I'm going to read this. And I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. If you're getting this, just say, we're getting it. Okay, amen. Verse 26, then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physically, but spiritual personality and moral likeness. And let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth. And over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, granting them certain authorities. I love that. And said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subjugate or subdue. By putting it under your power. And then rule or dominate the fish. 
<laughs> okay, let me come back. Uh, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that rules and that, that lives and moves on, upon the earth. So, it's a mouthful. With that said, sin has terribly distorted the image of God in man. So now, we do not reflect God's image as we should because sin has created rebellion on the inside of us. Against God's order. Hope everybody's really listening here. Romans, 7, Romans 8 chapter 7 says. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to the law of God. Nor can it do so. So why is it critical for us to renew our minds daily? Because if we do not renew our minds, our minds will remain hostile to God's word. And we will come to church and hear God's word and will not change because we are not being renewed in it. There's a difference with hearing it and being renewed in it. I can hear it today and it sounds good, but when I'm being renewed in it, I am literally allowing it to saturate my being. And now I'm living out of the revelation I have just received. Man naturally does not want to obey God's laws. Sin has corrupted us. It has corrupted our relationships. We see the, uh, the effects of this corruption uh, specifically in marriage, in the marriage union, right after the fall. Look at what God prophesied as a consequence of sin in marriage. Genesis 3, 16. He turns to the woman and he says, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. And with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire, I would underline that, will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. Anybody see something different here? Because first... The ruling was not supposed to be over one another. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Keep tracking with me. God says that the woman's desire would be for her husband. Does this mean that because sin, because of sin now, the woman is going to naturally want to serve her, her husband? Absolutely not. It actually means the complete opposite. We see this, this same word desire in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. Regarding sin in the relationship with Cain and Abel. God says to Cain, verse, four, verse 7, he says, Genesis 4, 7, he says, Listen, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. What is the text really saying? God says that the, the woman would, de, would, would have a desire for her husband. This literally means that the word desire literally means that the woman would no longer innately desire or want to serve her husband. But rather, rather, she would seek to control her husband. 
What was, God, what was God telling Cain? Listen, sin is at the door and it desires to have you. It desires to control you. You have to master it. So, so she would not, is going to now seek to have control over her husband. She would seek to manipulate him in order to get her own way. Also, the man, instead of loving his wife as his own self... He would seek to rule over her. Everybody say dysfunction. He would seek to dominate her, violating God's gen Genesis order or mandate. That man was simply supposed to rule the earth. See, one of the things that sin does and what sin has done is release what I call the prey-predator mindset. And so, so because when we're not submitted to God's or order, one of two personalities can, can manifest themselves. Uh, a prey type mentality or predator mentality. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much dysfunction in the world with regards to power. Because now when I have authority, because there's no true revelation of authority and submission... When I have authority, what I'm thinking I should be doing is I should be ruling over y'all. See? See? And, and, so, and so this is diametrically opposed to what God is calling us into. So let's just talk for a second about submission in the context of love. Amen? Everybody still tracking with me? In the Godhead or the Trinity, God the Father does not dominate or force God the Son to submit to him. Submission and authority happens in the context of the father's love for the son and the son's submission to the father. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is, is actually defined as love. It says, God is love. It's in the context of a loving relationship. The son submits to the father. In the same way as a husband, myself, I cannot demand my wife submit to me. I am called to love her, to lay my life down for her, to care for her, to encourage her to grow in God, to serve her. My wife is to submit to me willingly and respectfully. And for me to demand or force her to do this is both sinful unscriptural, dysfunctional, and disorderly. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. At the fall, marriage was broken. Submission in the context of a loving relationship was destroyed. And as a result, we see brokenness in the majority of marriages today. The wife tries to control the husband and the husband tries to rule and dominate the, the wife. We find the clash of titans in this arena of our wills and our egos. That's why in marriages, and you really start looking and analyzing marriages, there's always a real dominating personality and then a lesser pers personality. And usually it's the one with the biggest voice that seems to win. 
It's the one with the most demonstrative personality that sometimes seems to win. But if you ask, it's never a situation of equality. Because the one that's being controlled and dominated never feels as valued as the controller and the manipulator. The world would say, well, that's fine. We just let people just be, be them. But there is an order in God's word. There is an order in God's house. There's an order in God's marriages. Yes, there will be differing personalities. But it's not about controlling or manipulating the other person. Sometimes, sometimes the quiet person can be the controller in the relationship. Do you know that? And, and, and they can be real sanctimonious and quiet and pious, but they're working it in behind the scenes. They're manipulating behind the scenes. They're pulling strings behind the scenes. And all the while, they're smiling at you. But they're controlling everything. And so we need to be a God-centered church that's producing, I love that word, God-centered marriages and families. God started building a covenant community on the earth with marriage. But when the marriage is disorderly, when it's dysfunctional, everything else becomes distorted. The absence of order invites chaos. I'm going to say that again. So if we were to run through your house with our iPhone camera and you don't know that we're around, are we going to see order? <laughs> or are we going to see chaos? Do you have some private language that you speak in your house that you know is not acceptable in God's house? Jesus, help us today. See, God is calling us into God-centered living. God-centered living. The perfect model for the wife is to emulate the lordship submission that we see in Jesus. At the end of the day, in Gethsemane, we see the son, and he's understanding the price he's about to pay for us, for the church. And he is kneeling down. The gospel records it and he is sweating drops of blood because of the, the, the frustration and the mental anguish. And at the end of the day, because of the joy that was set before him, because he knew his, his suffering would produce us, the church, he says, nevertheless, not my will, not my ego, but your will be done.